Thank you for joining us today here at Victory. At Victory Church, we are a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. Join us as we begin today's message. All right. So I said this earlier, I'm going to say it again. So happy early Christmas to everybody. Tomorrow is Christmas Eve. I'm excited, man. I love, I love Christmas. And so we're going to kick this off with a question. It might seem a little weird at first, but I promise it's going to tie in. And this is my question. How many people in here are forgetful? Does anybody struggle with forgetfulness in here besides myself? Like, and I want you to think for just a second, what is one of the biggest things that you ever forgot in your life? Like think about like one of the things that you forgot. Maybe it's a birthday or an anniversary. Some of you are like, dude, don't bring that up. That's a soft spot. Uh, maybe it's a friend's name, somebody's name that you should know, right? Like somebody that you spent a lot of time with, your friend, you've hung out with a lot. And then maybe you ever had that situation where somebody that you should know their name, they're next to you and somebody else comes up to you and says, hey, what's your friend's name? And then you're like, you did not just ask me that. You know, has, has anybody ever had that happen before? Be honest now. Besides me, I've had that happen. So something about me that some of you know um, and some of you may not know, just being honest, is I struggle with forgetfulness. Like, honestly, I really, really do. I struggle with, I have ever since I was a little kid, my brother has a really good memory, my little brother. So I remember my little brother that is five and a half years older than me, or sorry, younger than me rather, I would ask him to remind me things when he's like a little kid. Like, dude, remind me. Don't let me forget it. And my, my wife, too, I struggle with that. Um, I'm the kind of guy that has sticky notes on it. Like, true story. I have sticky notes to remind myself of the other sticky notes. True story, I swear. I'm not kidding. Not exaggerating. In fact, our, our uh, student directy, director, Amy Little, she, no lie, she bought me for my birthday last year a huge pack of sticky notes like those little sticky pads. She bought me a huge, like massive pack. And it, it, <laughs> it was, what's that? No, I did. Thankfully, thankfully I did not. No, that would have been horrible. <laughs> I put a lot of them in my backpack, so I wouldn't, honestly. But it was one of the best, like, presents, honestly, I've ever got. I used it so, so thank you so much. If you ever want to give me a present, that, that is, I can use sticky notes. And so, um, yeah, I struggle with it. I, I do. And, and I'm going to be really open Really honest, I'm going to kind of fillet myself open here a little bit, okay? And I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest to the point that I, it might embarrass me a little bit publicly, but I love you guys. I'm going to do this. I'm going to tell you the two biggest things that I forgot in my life, like ever, okay? You ready? This is really bad. Just being honest. So first off, I forgot, and I'm ashamed to admit it, I forgot my mom's birthday. One year. I did. I did. I forgot my mom's birthday. I was that guy. It was horrible. And not only, I'm not saying like I forgot it and then later that day I remembered or that night or the next day I remember. No, I mean, I completely forgot. It was like a day, maybe two days later, someone else had to remind me, hey, David, did you tell your mom happy birthday? I was like, oh my goodness. Oh, it was horrible. And to make matters worse in this situation, I forgot, but my brother also forgot my mom's birthday. Get this, that same year. This same, the only time either one of us, obviously, the only time we've done this and we both forgot the same year. My brother has a really good memory, but it was crazy, man. Like we both completely forgot. Epic fail on our part. My mom doesn't have any other kids. It's just me and my brother. So both of her kids, her only kids, forgot her birthday the same year. It was like two days later, we both called. And obviously we are still sucking up. We are still making up for that. And we like, now this was a few years ago. So now when it's creeping up, it's, it's August 13th. It is seared in my brain, August 13th. I'm not gonna forget it. And so every, like every year when we're creeping up to August 13th, we remind, we text each other like, hey, dude, don't forget mom's birthday. Did you, did you text mom? Don't forget, you get, did you get something for her? We text each other back and forth, we, which we probably need to do for the rest of our life because we forgot. And then so if you think that one was bad, this, this next one is, is, is even worse. It's crazy if it could be worse. Um, so first of all, just to kind of give you a little backstory so you understand, um, for those of you that don't know, I'm a proud father of two kids. Okay, uh, uh, Liam, who is two years old, uh, my daughter, who is six years old. I love them so much. I've got a beautiful wife named Brittany. She's not here. Usually she's right there. She's in the back right now in the nursery. My beautiful wife. And so uh, it was about three years ago when, when uh, my son, he's two now. So three years ago, she's, uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. That's when she got pregnant. Wow, I almost forgot that. A little over two years ago, goodness, she's not in here. She'll listen to this later, though. Um, so a little over two years ago, my wife, my beautiful wife, Brittany, um, she gave birth to our son, Liam. And uh, yeah, so 
She's in the hospital the day after, the morning after she gives birth, okay? She's laying in the hospital bed. And for those of you that have kids before, you don't understand what I'm saying when I say like, like you know when you like fall asleep, you actually have time to fall asleep, which isn't, isn't that much at all when you first have a kid. Like we actually had about an hour, hour and a half or so, we kind of fell asleep. And if the baby cries or if the baby makes a noise or like even breathes differently, you're gonna wake up like that. Like, oh my goodness, what's wrong? But like there could be a bomb go off next to you or somebody else says something or shouts and you ain't gonna wake up for anything else because you don't get any sleep, right? And so I think that's kind of what happened this morning. We slept in, like we had about an hour, hour and a half of sleep, which is probably not much more than we got the entire night. And we missed breakfast. So we wake up, it's a, it's a little bit later and, and slept for about an hour and a half, something like that. And breakfast wasn't there. I'm guessing they probably came in and I don't know if they forgot, I don't know. But I called down and I'm like, hey, um, so we, we didn't get breakfast. Can I go ahead and order breakfast for my wife, right? I'm gonna be a good husband. My wife just delivered the baby. That's the least I could do is order my wife breakfast, right? So I'm ordering the breakfast and they said, yeah, absolutely, it's no problem. What would your wife like? So I ask her, I tell them, and then they ask me a couple questions. The first question they ask me, not a big deal. They say, hey, so what room number are you in? I don't know the room number. Most people don't know the room number. It's not a big deal. So I, put, I said, give me just a second. I put down the phone, go out, and I, I look at the room number, go back and I say, this is the room number. I don't remember now, but I did that. So anyways, I tell them the room number, and then they ask me this question that I swear made my brain like go to mush. Like, I think everything in my brain just stopped working other than like the automatic functions like your heart beating and your breathing, things like that you don't have to think about. Everything else that you have to think about that requires energy just went like it stopped. They asked me this question, sir, what is your wife's birthday? Now again, my wife is laying three feet away from me in a hospital bed just delivered our baby boy the day before. The least I can do is order my wife breakfast and remember her birthday, right? Like, like, oh my, I mean, this is crazy. And so literally, this is my response. They say, sir, what is your wife's birthday? I say, um, um, uh, and I, I kid you not, I start pacing. I am pacing the room for like a minute or so. I'm like, um. Um, and this lady, she was so sweet, she was nice, she, she kind of started laughing a little bit, but I think it was a nice way, she felt bad for me maybe, I, I don't know, but, but, but I was like, I, I, uh, um, and I keep on going like that, and my wife is catching on, like something's going on, and she finds out that I can't remember her birthday, and so she reminds me, and if that's not bad enough, this isn't the end of it, she reminds me by saying this, David, we share the same birthday, it's on the exact same day. Like I literally, in one moment, when my wife just delivered our baby, forgot her birthday and my birthday in the same moment. Kid you not, that should be like, if there is a Guinness Book of World Records for like forgetfulness, that's gotta be it. Somebody tell me if there is one. It's crazy, I know, right? Oh my goodness. So a true story. And so you're probably like, okay, what, what does that have to do with anything? It has to do with this. So a lot of times during seasons like Christmas, we put a lot of emphasis on remembering, right? Like remembering, the, we say, the remember the reason for the season, right? That's what we say, remember the reason for the season, and we put out the nativity scenes. And, and first off, before I say what I'm about to say, I'm not dogging remembering the reason for the season. That is important. Please do not leave here today and say that pastor said we don't need to remember the reason for the season. We need to remember every single day, not just on Christmas. It is so important what Jesus has done for us, the gospel, right, and, and his grace and his love. We need to remember, all right? So I'm not saying we don't need to remember, but what I want us to do today is take a little bit of a different approach. Rather than focusing on remembering, I want us to focus instead on forgetting, and, and more specifically on what happens, the repercussions of the results of forgetting specifically who God truly is, what he has honestly done for us, and who he calls every single one of us to be. And we get an incredible picture of this, what happens when we forget these things from a story from really a book called Judges which is all about a group of people called the Israelites that had this chronic issue of forgetfulness. These people were probably worse than me when it comes to forgetfulness, believe it or not, because they had been grown up, raised up, like hearing these stories, knowing about the truths of God, hearing the miracles of God and what he had done, how he provided for them time and time again, yet time and time again, they continually neglected really 
forgot who God truly is, what he had honestly done for them, and who he called them specifically to be. The big idea that we're going to dive into today is this. Only continual remembrance and obedience to Christ will lead to godly living. Only continual remembrance and obedience to Christ will lead to godly living. And the truth is, guys, when we don't honestly continually remind ourselves of the truths of the gospel, and when we aren't consistently, continually obedient to Christ, and I want to make sure that we understand, when I'm saying obedient to Christ on a consistent basis, I'm not saying being perfect. There are no perfect people other than Jesus. I'm talking about even through the failures, we continue to move in his direction, ask for forgiveness, and, and confess what's going on. I'm talking about moving in his direction no matter what, being continually reminded of the gospel, move in his direction no matter what. If we don't do that on a consistent basis, then what history shows us time and time and time again, the vast majority of the time, it leads to us forgetting, us forgetting who God truly is, what he has honestly done for us, and who he has called every single one of us to be. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for what you've done for us, for the reason for this season, for the reason that we have the opportunity to celebrate, and not just on Christmas, but every single moment of every single day, and not just in this life, but for all of eternity. It's because of you, not because of us, not because of anything else. And Father, I pray that as we're approaching this Christmas day in a couple of days that you remind us that this isn't about us getting presents from other people and, and about this just material stuff, which is, which is good and that's fun, but I pray that we don't get so caught up in this that we forget what it's really about, your gift of grace, your gift of love, your gift of salvation. That's what this is about. And it's available for every single one of us. Father, I pray that you help us to wrap our minds around this, to, to remember this. And then as we remember this, I pray that you help us to reflect this and to talk about it and not, not be ashamed of you, not be ashamed of your gospel and what you have done for us. I pray that if there's anybody here today that if, have never responded to you, have never responded to the gospel, I pray that you would open their eyes in response to your grace and perform that miracle that only you can today, right here, right now. And I pray this over the other churches in this area as well. I pray for the gift of salvation, the miracle of salvation today. And I pray that you would help us to be a people that centers our life on a consistent basis, remembering you, remembering what you've done, your gospel message, and being continually obedient to you. And not just on days like Christmas, but every single day of the week, every single day of the year, every single day of our life because you are worth it, and you are worthy. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so a quick heads up. We, we are going to be in the book of Judges, obviously today, um, but it's not just going to be today. We're actually starting a series in this book. So we're going to be, we're kicking off today an entire series in this book. We'll be in this series for, for a few weeks. And I was going to do, I was thinking about doing just a, a specific Christmas um, a sermon, but this is this ties in so well. I'm so excited about this book, one of my favorite books in the Bible. And so if you've got your Bible, first of all, if you don't have your Bible, we're going to have it up on the screen, the text here in just a moment. But if you've got your Bible, go ahead and break it open to Judges chapter 2. That's where we're going to be at, Judges 2, starting with, with verse 1. Uh, before we, we kick this off and we dive into the text, let me give you, I'm going I'm to say something to kind of help us set the tone so we understand the context of what's going on in this story first. Okay, so so first off, as I talked about before, it's no mystery that we live in a society that puts a lot of emphasis on remembering the reason for the season, more specifically remembering Jesus Christ on days like Christmas, right? And we put out the nativity scenes, we talk about, we, we, we even say, remember the reason for the season. Even people that aren't Christians, you hear them say, remember the reason for the season. It's like, do you know what you're saying? Like, that's awesome. I'm glad you're saying that, but do we understand what we're saying? Like, we, we talk about that and we focus a lot of attention on remembering Jesus 
on days like this. But the truth is, the sad reality is, the vast majority of the rest of the year, for most of us in our society, the vast majority of the rest of the year, other than days on like Christmas and, and Easter, we don't really spend barely any time at all focusing on him, do we? I mean, the truth is we actually kind of neglect him, really kind of forget about him the vast majority of the rest of the year for most of us, right? But here's the thing. When we live out that kind of lifestyle, that kind of mindset, we see the repercussion of what living that kind of lifestyle does through these people called the Israelites. When time and time again, they continued to forget who God was, what he has done for them, and who he's called them to be. It led them, honestly, to complete disaster. It led them to to become completely just miserable, and it led them to their own demise, their own destruction. Why? Because they were leaning on other makeshift functional saviors, these idols that can never truly save them because only Jesus Christ can save us. In fact, if you were to wrap up this whole book in one, one quick statement, it would be something like this. There are tons of, of saviors out there that we try to rely on, but only one savior has the power to actually save us, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus Christ. And so before we dive into this giant book of forgetfulness, as I like to call it, because that's what the, one of the major themes all throughout this book, reoccurring forgetfulness, I want to take a moment and talk about the history because when we open up these pages in Judges, you get to Judges chapter 1, you're introduced to these people called the Israelites. But that's not the first time they're introduced in the overall grand book called the Bible. There's a big history that's happened, a lot of things that have happened up to this point in time. And if we don't understand that, then we're not really going to understand the context when we dive into this book. And so quick, just recap, kind of, uh, uh, you know, jogging the memory a little bit for a lot of us. So, so we're not going to go all the way back to, to the beginning, but, but remember back to the Exodus, right? So remember like, like in Egypt, the Israelites, they're in slavery, they're in bondage to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is, is over all of Egypt, obviously, right? And so these, these Israelites are there, they're in a horrible situation, treated horribly. Slavery, it's forced labor, Horrible, horrible. And it goes on for generation after generation after generation. A long, long, long time. So it seems like there's no end in sight, like no light at the end of the tunnel, right? And then all of a sudden, God raises up this man called Moses. And we all, we, we remember Moses, right? We, we've heard about Moses. So God raises him up through the burn, burning bush. He tells Moses, what? To go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. So that's what Moses does. He goes, tells Pharaoh to let my people go. And then, and then what happens? They have a great time. Pharaoh's like, yeah, cool, I'll do that. You guys can go ahead. Let's, let's be friends, right? No, that's not what happens. Make sure you guys are awake. Um, no, that's not what happens. He says, no, no, you're crazy. I'm going to let you guys go. There ain't no way. So what does he do? God performs miracle after miracle after miracle, all of these plagues. And these plagues, all these miracles that God performs, every single one of them, just, just one of them, was mind-blowing, like, I mean, crazy, epic miracle, the things that God did. I mean, like, the first thing, Moses, when he goes up to Pharaoh, what does he do? What does God do? He turns his, his, his staff into a snake, right? And then he turns the water into blood. He sends all this, I mean, tons of, of frogs, tons of flies, turns the whole um, land dark so much so that you can feel it. Crazy, mind-blowing plagues, these miracles and signs and wonders. And so it keeps on going until finally Pharaoh is like, okay, I'm not, I, don't, I don't want you to just go. I want you to get out. Like, he doesn't just say, you can go. He, like, he says, get out of here, finally, right? Because he's seen all of these crazy signs and wonders that have just blown his mind, and it's really really impacted his life. And so he, he tells them to get out. They leave. But when they leave, remember what happens. Pharaoh, shortly after, he goes after them, right? He changes his mind. His heart grows hard again. He chases after them. And so remember what happens when he chases after them, right? They're at the Red Sea. And so what does God do? He parts the Red Sea, right? And so if you think about that, parting the Red Sea, like, like I, I read about that. And I'm like, dude, if I were there in that moment and I saw the Red Sea part, right? There's sea on both sides and I'm just walking through. Like, I don't know. I just kind of think to myself, man, if I just saw that one miracle, like that is not, that's crazy. I mean, walking through 
the Red Sea. And that's what he does. He parts the Red Sea. They walk through and then, and then uh, you know, he floods the, the Egyptians. And so time and time again, he is providing for them miraculously. Like, I mean, he is just like breaking through the impossible time and time and time again, defying the impossible. And they go through, uh, you know, uh, the wilderness, the Mount Sinai situation where they get the Ten Commandments, the laws, right? And then they go to this place called the Promised Land. They got a promise for him. This, this land, Canaan, is this land that he says is flowing with milk and honey. In other words, it is awesome. It's like paradise, right? I mean, it's, it's everything you could ever want, everything you ever need. It's incredible. He says, this is yours. All you got to do is go and claim it. Just, just go claim it. It's yours. I've got it for you. Just step into the land. I'm going to provide it just like I've done everything else provided that for you. So they get to this land, and then they, have, they develop essentially like spiritual amnesia. Like they get to this land and it's like they forget everything that has just happened. And it's not even been that long since all this happened. Because they get there and they see the people there and they're like, oh, wow, these guys are big. And they're, this is, you know, they got an army and, they, and it's, it seems like there's no way that we could take these guys. There is no way that we could go into this land and we could claim it as our own. We will get slaughtered. And they just develop the spiritual amnesia and forget everything that God has done because this is nothing compared to what God just did. He defied the Dagom Pharaoh in Egypt and his entire army, right? And so what do these guys do? Instead of trusting in God, they go in the other direction and they decide to, to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because that seems like a lot of fun, right? Like, hey, kids, we're going to go on a little vacation in the wilderness in the middle of nowhere for 40 years, but that's what they do. They go in the wilderness and they don't trust God. But even through that, even through their lack of faith in God, what does God do? He continues to provide. He's faithful even when we aren't, right? So he continues to provide and he does, I mean, countless miracles. Like, I mean, water from nowhere, out of a rock. You know, he, he literally like rains down food from heaven, like manna from heaven for all of these, all of these years, right? Just continues to provide time and time and time again. And then Moses dies, this generation dies off, and this other one is, is raised up, and this man named Joshua, God raises up this man named Joshua. Joshua's been around for a little while, but he's always been faithful, right? Not perfect, no perfect people other than Jesus, but he's always been faithful, always trusted God, right? So Joshua's raised up, and God calls him to be the leader of the Israelites. And so Joshua, this man of God, he leads the Israelites back to this promised land, and get, they get to this place called Jericho. If you remember, Jericho is this fortified city. They got these massive walls up around the entire perimeter. They get there, and from the world's perspective, it would look like, man, there ain't no way. There's no way these guys are going to be able to take this. But Joshua, again, he's a man of God. He's not perfect, right? He's a man of God, though. He trusts God, and he says, no, God's, God promised us that city. God promised us his land. This is our land, and we're going to go claim it. And this, this is what God tells them to do, because what God loves to do, okay, God loves to use us. He, he gives us good gifts, but he wants us to take those inches of faith because it's a relationship. He's like, look, you do a little bit, and I'm going to do a lot, okay? It's not like God asks us to give us miles uh, of faith to him, right? And then he gives us inches. It's the reverse. He asks us to give us inches of faith to him, and then he multiplies that exponentially, and he creates miles out of it. And that's a perfect picture of that can be seen in this account in Jericho. Because what he tells the, the, the Israelites to do, catch this. All you got to do, march around the city, march around the perimeter a few times. This goes on for a few days. And then they've got to shout and play some instruments. That's all they got to do. That's literally all that they had to do. And they did that. And it seems crazy, but they did that. They obeyed God and literally the walls fell. They were able to take this city. It became theirs. This land was theirs. It was just incredible, right? So they get to this point. And here's the command that God gives to them. God commands them to wipe out, to get rid of everybody else, all the inhabitants, right, in the land. So in other words, every single person in that land, I want them God. Do not intermingle with them. Get them all out of there. And that seems really harsh. And when we go to texts like this in the Bible and we don't understand the context, it seems like, man, God's really harsh. Like he's mean, but He's not. He's not. See, the reason that God said this, what we have to understand about these people in this land in Canaan, every single one of them were idol worshipers. And not just your regular, everyday, run-of-the-mill idol worshipers. These dudes made like Charles Manson look like, you know, your local babysitter. These people were horrible, 
horrible, horrible, horrible, okay? Like, like the kind of things that they would do on a regular, everyday basis is, is just things like child sacrifice, right? I, I mean, it was crazy. They would sacrifice their kids like in fire and stuff, rape, incest. These things were common practice for these people. And so these guys weren't just idol worshipers. These guys were the worst of the worst of the worst. And God had already given them hundreds of years to repent, all of these people. But they didn't, and they wouldn't, and God knew that. They would never repent. They would never change. They would always stay the same. So he didn't want the Israelites to be intermingled with these horrible people because he knew, he knew what would happen. See, a lot of times we have to understand, we, we see life through a little peephole, but God sees the bigger picture. So a lot of times we can't see what's gonna happen the next step, but God sees it. He knew what would happen. And so he commanded them, look, get them all out of there. Get them all out of there. I don't want you to intermingle with these guys. So that's through Joshua's life. They were obedient, most part, to that. Then we get to Judges chapter one, right? Get to Judges chapter one, and it looks like, um, you know, these guys are just, doing great. I mean, victory after victory after victory. These guys are undefeated. Nobody can touch them. It is great, right? That's what it looks like at first. But then very quickly, what we start to see is something very similar to what you see with the Carolina Panthers this year. Anybody a Carolina Panther fan that wants to admit it, if you're willing to admit it? Okay, yeah. There might be more that you're not willing to admit. So it is sad, man. It is crazy. I can't believe what's happened. For those of you that don't know, the Carolina Panthers, they started out really well. They had a really good season, um, really good team. Like the playoffs were like nothing. We got, we got this in the bag, right? This is great. And then what they did, okay, this is what they did a few weeks ago. They decided, you know what? We're tired of winning. Winning isn't cool anymore. We want to lose. And so that's what they've done for the last six weeks in a row. They've lost six weeks in a row. And so the parallel with that is the Israelites, they were winning, winning, winning. They were doing great. They were unstoppable, undefeatable champs, right? Nobody, I mean, these guys were unstoppable, right? And it wasn't them, it was God. But then all of a sudden they decided, no, don't, I'm not worried about winning. We're gonna, we're gonna lose every once in a while, right? But then not only that, they also, remember God told them not to, to drive out all these inhabitants, all the people in the land. Well, they start losing sometimes, but then they also start striking deals with the other people in the land. They started like making relationships and striking deals and allowing them to stay in the land, completely disobeying what God said to them. And this is when it all starts going horribly, horribly, horribly wrong. Because what they're doing is they start living in partial obedience to God rather than full obedience. They start living in partial obedience to God rather than full obedience. In other words, they start straddling the fence, right? But what we learn through the Israelites, especially in this book, but I mean, all throughout the Bible, what we learn is that partial obedience, get this, partial obedience is simply full disobedience in disguise. That's all it is. Partial obedience is simply full disobedience in disguise. Because the truth is, guys, we are either fully obedient to God we're not obedient at all. And again, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not, Jesus is the only perfect one. What I'm talking about is moving in his direction, even through the failures, continuing to move in his direction. If we aren't continually moving in his direction, continually being obedient, then we're not being obedient at all. And so let's check out what happened to these Israelites. Now that we understand the backstory and the history a little bit, when they started disobeying, we're gonna start Judges chapter two with verse one. It says, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land I had promised to your fathers. I also said, I will never break my covenant with you. You are not to make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. So remember, we talked about a lot of that. You are to tear down their idols, but you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? Therefore, I now say, I will not drive out these people before you. They will be thorns in your sides and their gods will be a trap for you. So first off, in this text, when we dive in, we see this guy called the angel of the Lord. And anytime you see the angel of the Lord in the Bible, if you don't already know this, that's a reference to God himself. This isn't just like some angel, it's God himself. It's, it's literally pre-incarnate Jesus. So the Israelites, they've disobeyed, right? 
So they're in disobedience. So much so that God himself literally comes down, pre-incarnate Jesus, and calls them out. And he calls them out by reminding them of some things. He's like, look, who do you guys think you are, man? Who do you guys, I mean, like, do you not remember everything that I have done for you? Like, you should still be in slavery in Egypt right now. Like, do you remember all the miracles that I performed to get you out of Egypt? When you, I mean, for sin, I mean, so many years you were in slavery and partying the Red Sea, all those miracles in the, the wilderness. When you disobeyed me, I still was with you. Like, you know, pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night. I led you through the wilderness. I was the one who brought you into this land. I was the one who made the, the walls crumble. I was the one who gave you all those victory time and time and time again. I am the one who's given all this to you, provided for you, guided you this entire time. Do you not remember this? And he's calling them out by reminding them because they have forgotten. And what's really sad is the fact that not only have they started to forget these things and neglect these things, but they have completely abandoned God in the process. They've completely abandoned him. And what we have to understand it, when it comes to God giving us some commands, when, when it comes to God giving us rules and commands and guiding us, these commands, he doesn't give us commands. Let me say it like this. He doesn't give us commands because he's this overbearing dictator, right? Like he's not this mean, cruel, harsh daddy up on a throne that's saying, you know, like you better do this or, you know, like he's going to smite us or something. That is not, if that's the picture in your head of God, I'm sorry, that, that is not, God, okay? He, that's not why he gives us commands. God's intent, the reason that he gives us commands, the reason that he tells us these things to do and gives us instructions, it's always simply because he loves us and he wants to provide for us and he wants to protect us. He wants to protect us. And so practically speaking, I, when I think about this, I think about my kids and I think about giving my kids instructions or commands to do certain things. And so, for example, with my two-year-old son, my two-year-old son is like a spider monkey. This kid will climb anything. He will climb that roll of chairs over there. He'll climb, I mean, it's crazy. He can like climb so many things. And so if I tell my two-year-old son, hey, bud, look, do not climb that couch over there and jump off like your Batman head first, okay? That is not gonna go well for you. It's gonna, you are gonna get hurt. Like if I tell him, bud, you better not do that. Don't do that, all right? If I do that, I'm not being mean. I'm being a loving, providing, caring father because I love him and I want good for him because I know if he jumps off that couch, he's going to land head first. He's going to break his nose or his back or neck or something. It's going to be horrible, right? And so the same thing is true with God, but exponentially more. God loves us and he gives us these commands because he wants to protect us. He wants to provide for us. We see through tiny peepholes again, but God sees the whole picture. He sees everything else that is going to happen depending on the path that we take. And he sets up these commands, these instructions, almost like boundaries and like these guardrails to, to help us. It's like, I love you, buddy. I love you. Look, if you go in this direction, this is where it's gonna lead. Don't do that. You may not see it, but don't do that. And that's why he is giving the Israelites some pretty brutal honesty in this moment, in this scene, when they are refusing to obey him. And although it might seem like he's being mean to his people, the truth is he's simply giving them what they want. That's what God's doing. He's giving them what they want, which is to make their own makeshift functional saviors, their own idols, in other words, to follow, to rely on, in place of, instead of him. And before you start judging, no pun intended there, before you start judging the Israelites, <laughs> Amy is like the queen of puns. I just, uh, yeah. But anyways, before you start judging the Israelites, because it, it would be easy to do this and say, man, what in the world is wrong with these people? Like, look at everything that God did, like crazy miracles, and they are not, oh, but what is going on with these people? I mean, all these victories, and they're just like, nope, nope, we're done with it. It would be so easy to judge them and say, these guys are dumb. What's wrong with them? But what we need to do is backstep. We need to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, man, how many times have we, more specifically, how many times have I done the same thing? We do the same thing over and over and over. We raise up these makeshift functional saviors, these idols, so to speak, to rely on. And, you know, it might be money. 
It might be a job. It might be a relationship. Or you know, it could be drugs. Or it could be possessions. All kinds of things that we use to try to center our life on instead of or in place of Jesus Christ. But the truth is these other things in our life that we try to rely on and essentially put in a pedestal in the place of Jesus, they can never save us. They don't have the power to save us. Only Jesus does. All these other things apart from Jesus will ever do. They'll give us the illusion that they're going to help us. They're going to help us cope with whatever we're going through. They're going to help us, you know, with that, with that anxiety, with that depression, with that, you know, fill that void in our life. They'll give us the illusion. And sometimes it's almost like, oh, yeah, I feel a little bit better right now in the moment, but it's never going to last. And all it ever does is deplete you more and more and more. It leads you down this spiral and it empties you completely. Really what it does is it, it completely enslaves you. It enslaves you. You see, that's what God is warning these people. He's warning them. He's telling them. This is what's going to happen. Let's keep reading. Judges 2, verse 6. Skip to verse 6. It says, first word, previously. And catch that word, previously. So, so when we see that, obviously, this is, we're just jumping back in time, okay? Going in the time machine. We're jumping back. We're thinking back. When Joshua, so at this point in time, Joshua's already passed away. The text we just read, verses 1 through 3, Joshua's already passed away. Very beginning of Judges, Joshua's passed away. But we're thinking back. Previously, when Joshua was still alive, he had sent the people, the Israelites, uh, the people away. The Israelites had gone to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people worshiped the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime and during the lifetimes of the elders who outlived Joshua. They had seen all the Lord's great works he had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the territory of his inheritance, in Timnath-Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. So remember, keep in mind, Joshua, Joshua was like this incredible leader. This incredible leader, this incredible like military tactician. Um, it just, uh, he's the kind of guy that you would want to follow, right? Just a great guy, incredible leader, incredible, I mean, military-wise too. But he was almost like, like the Alexander, their Alexander the Great, almost, right? If you can picture that in here. That, that's kind of who he was to them, um, you know, in that day and age. But, but the best thing about Joshua is the fact that he loved God. He was a very, very godly man. Again, not perfect, but he loved the Lord. He feared the Lord. He, he worshiped God. And he didn't straddle the fence. He consistently, not in perfection, again, not in perfection, but he consistently moved in the direction of God. And he called all the other people, the entire nation of Israel to do the same. Choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That comes from Joshua. That's, that's where a lot of people, we have that up in our houses. That's from Joshua. That's this man, a man of God. Again, not perfect, but a man of God. And he led the Israelites to do the same thing, to love the Lord, to not straddle the fence, to trust in him no matter what, not perfectly, but trusting in him to provide. And he gave all the credit to God, all these victories. I mean, yes, he was an incredible military tactician. He was an incredible leader. Yes, that's true. But it was really God that did all of this. And he gave all the glory, all the praise to God. And so then Joshua dies. This incredible leader that's been with him for all these years and these victory after victory after victory, he, he led them into the promised land, the Jericho, all, the, all this was Joshua leading them, right? Really, God through Joshua, but then Joshua dies. And there's this question that's up in the air. It's like, okay, well, what now? What now? Joshua's dead. Like, who's, who's gonna lead us now? Like, Moses already died before Joshua. Joshua is gone. What do we do now? Who's gonna lead us? Let's check out what happens next. Let's get to verse 10. It says, the, that whole generation, so remember, Joshua dies, the elders after him, they lived after him. That whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors. They've now passed away. After them, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. So catch this, don't miss this. So Joshua in his lifetime, not perfect, but they followed God. He loved God, he trusted God, he and he trusted him to provide no matter what. And he led the entire nation to do the same. They did not straddle the fence. But then Joshua dies, the next generation, what do they do? They, they start straddling the fence. They start, they, they're following God, they're trusting in God most of the time, but then a lot of times they don't. It's kind of like when it's convenient. When it's convenient, 
Yeah, I'm going to follow God. Yeah, God is good. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, over here, it's like, no, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to not going to worry about that a little bit. I'm, you know, straddle the fence a little bit in this area of my life. And that's what they did. But then the next generation, they got worse. They got, they got worse. See, what we have to understand is, is they didn't just stay the same. It got worse and worse and worse. This next generation completely ignored him. It's as if they had forgotten him altogether, who he truly is, what he had done for them, and who he had called them to be. And they had heard, these kids, they had heard all these stories growing up. I mean, it's almost like, like think about like Sunday school and, and vacation Bible school. They didn't have that back then, but just so we understand, right? It, they, they were raised up hearing these stories, hearing about the truths of God, right? hearing the miracles of God, the, you know, the, the wilderness journey and how he provided and water out of nowhere, raining manna food from heaven, what happened to Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea. They heard these stories. They knew these stories. But the sad reality is they didn't care. They didn't care. They, they watched their parents in this other generation, the fence-straddling generation, not really taking it fully seriously. And it led them to this point where it's like, you know what? I'm not going to take it seriously either. And it got worse. And they didn't care. And what we learned from this, from the Israelites' failure time and time and time again, guys, is the screams of the importance for us to live gospel-centered, Christ-centered lives, and not just in some aspects or some areas in our life, but a continual, consistent um, a, a, a basis, every single aspect of our life, because what history shows us time and time and time again is that if we do not, if we do not take it seriously, if we straddle the fence, then the next generation, as history shows us time and time again, will not just simply follow in our fence-straddling footsteps, it will get worse. And it will, the vast majority of the time, completely abandon the faith altogether, completely, more specifically, abandon Jesus Christ altogether. That's why taking our faith seriously, on a consistent basis, taking our faith seriously, every aspect of our life on a consistent basis and here's the other key discipling our kids like honestly discipling our kids guys this isn't just important this is absolutely 100% needed 100% needed and, and I'm not talking about for your sake like honestly get yourself out of the way man I'm not talking about us I'm talking about our kids I'm talking about the next generation literally their souls are, are like depending on us to take this seriously to not straddle the fence not in perfection even through the imperfection moving in the direction of God and every aspect of our life and being consistent with them and discipling them I mean like praying with them reading the Bible to them talking about Jesus and not just talking about grace but like showing them grace and showing them the love of Christ sacrificial love like showing this commitment to Jesus and to his people the church showing them these things it's so important, guys. Is that let's be a people that, that, that shows our kids that Jesus is worth so much more. He's worth so much more than just like one or two days a year where we talk about him or like one day a week, like on Sunday mornings where we talk about him and we sing about him. Like he is worth so much more than that. He is worth every aspect of our life because he's not just a good teacher. He, he, he is Lord of lords and he is King of kings and he is worthy of everything that we have to offer. Every aspect of our lives. And guys, our kids need to see this. They don't just need to hear this. They don't just need to, to, to sing these songs and, and, and it doesn't just need to be the people in the back which they do such an incredible job. Or your kids, if you have kids here, whether they're students or, they're, or the kids in the back, I'm gonna tell you something. These people love Jesus. The people that are, that are leading these kids, they love Jesus. They're hearing about Jesus. They're hearing the gospel because we can't just rely on these other people to disciple them. Because the truth is our kids, the main people they're gonna look at is us. And not what we say, but what we do. We could say it every day, all the time, but if our actions say something else, guys, that's what they're gonna follow. That's what they're gonna follow. And I, I don't have this any, but I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say this there's a statistic I, I, I read, it was several years ago, and it blew my mind. And, and it was about specifically going to church, and, and it, it, it was something to this effect. If, if a mom takes her kids to church on a consistent basis, it's somewhere around the neighborhood of, I think, like 60%, give or take, 
um, of the kids that this mom, like even if it's like a single parent, will, takes your kids, it's about 60% of the time the kids will follow in her footsteps somewhere in that neighborhood. And if a father takes the kids to church on a consistent basis, even if the mom is taking, if they go along with it, if the father takes the kids to church, and this is statistics over years, guys, this is what they've shown. If the father takes the kids on a consistent basis to church, over 80% of the time, the kids will continue to go to church, man. That's why, again, it's so important. And when we don't, when we don't, the, the, the percentage of the people that will stay in church is so, so, so low. Our kids, this next generation needs to see this. And these Israelites, again, they, this generation started straddling the fence after Joshua and the elders. They passed away. They started straddling the fence. And the generation after that just fell off completely, abandoned the faith, abandoned God altogether. So let's keep on going in the story. Verse 11, it says, The Israelites did what was evil and the Lord's sight. They worshiped the Baals and abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed other gods from the surrounding peoples and bowed down to them. They angered the Lord and they abandoned him and worshiped Baal and the Ashtoreths. The Lord's anger burned against Israel and he handed them over to mar- marauders and raided them, who raided them. He sold them to the enemies around them and they could no longer resist their enemies. Whenever the Israelites went out, the Lord was against them and brought disaster on them, just as he had promised and sworn to them. So they suffered greatly. And so what, what's so sad about this too, man, is when you think about the history and you think about what happened time and time again, where God continued to be there for them, continued to revive, miracle after miracle after miracle, continuing to defy the impossible, to continue to, to, to be there and to help them. Even whenever they abandoned him in those moments, he was always there to help them and to guide them. Even through the wilderness experience, he was there helping them. And he promised that he would be their God and they, he wouldn't leave them. All he asked is that he tr- they trust him, that they, they would trust that he's a good dad, that, that he loves them, that he's going to provide for them. It's like, just trust me, and I will be here for you. I am the same God that helped your forefathers over here. I'm the same God that did all these miracles to Father, but I'm the same one. I love you so much. I love you like I love them, and I will provide for you the exact same way. And all he wanted for them was for them to trust him. But rather than trusting him, what did they do? They neglected him. They abandoned him, and they forgot him. They acted as though he didn't even exist at all, which resulted in them replacing him with their own makeshift functional saviors, little g fake gods or idols that can never save, they only destroy. And guys, if we're honest with ourselves again, we do the same thing. We do the same thing time and time again today, and and back in that day and age, and even sometimes in the world today, people will bow down to like these actual statues or maybe it's like a golden calf or something. And, and, but it usually the majority of the time, it doesn't look like that. And that's the picture that we have in our head when we think about like idols. Because most of the time an idol, again, it looks like a, like a person or a relationship or, or it could be money or, or a job or goals or kids or drugs or you know, success, whatever, anything at all. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. Anything at all that we put as the centerpiece of our life, that we start focusing our life, every every other aspect of our life on, rather than the God of the universe. Rather than the, the one that created us, the one that sustained us, and the one that died to save us. It's Jesus Christ, the God of the universe. And when we read this text, something we have to be careful of is, is we can't think that, that God stopped caring for these people. This is not a story, and I say that because so often we'll come to texts like this, and we take it out of context, we just superficially read through it, and it looks like, man, God is he's mean, he's overbearing, what is up with this? This is not a story about God abandoning his people. This is not a story about God abandoning his people. This is a story about God's people abandoning God. That's what this story is about. And he continued to love them through it because through his love, he allowed them. He allowed them to commit spiritual adultery, which is exactly what idol worshiping is. It is spiritual idolatry. He allowed them, in other words, to choose these idols 
over and above him, which in turn led to their own demise. And after everything that the Israelites did, continuing time and time again to just turn away from God, to neglect him, act as if he didn't even exist, to commit spiritual adultery against him time and time again, check out what God says. Check out verse 16. It says, the Lord raised up judges. After all of this, everything that the Israelites have done, the Lord raised up judges who saved them from the power of their marauders. But catch what they did. Check out what they did. They did not listen to their judges. Instead, they prostituted. And don't miss that word because this word, this is it's almost like this PG-13 type of thing because that's what this book is. That is actually a perfect example of what idol worshiping is prostituting ourselves out before other gods, bowing down to them. They quickly turned from the way of their fathers who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. They did not do as their fathers did. But don't miss that first part, what God did after, and he continued to do this, and he continues to do this even to this day. He provided for them. Because what we have to understand, what we see in this text right here, and so I mean throughout the entire Bible is this, that God absolutely hates with a passion. He loathes with a passion sin. But he also loves with a passion sinners. Which is why he continues to relentlessly pursue us, even while we are in the middle, actively, of committing spiritual idolatry against us. He continues to relentlessly pursue us. So even though the Israelites abandoned him and continued to, he continued to pursue them by raising up judges to save them. And then next, and we're gonna, we're gonna end with this verse. It's verse 18. It says, whenever the Lord raised up a judge for the Israelites, the Lord was with him and saved the people from the power of their enemies while the judge was still alive. The Lord was moved to pity whenever they groaned because of those who were oppressing and afflicting them. Because we have to understand that our God loves us even when we abandon him. He still actively pursues us even when we try to replace him. And he still forgives us. He shows us mercy. He floods our life with his never-ending, never-stopping grace when we simply choose to turn to him in repentance submitting to him as the only Lord and the only Savior of our life, no matter what we have done in our past. The Israelites may have given up on him time and time again, but God never gave up on them. Never gave up on them. And the most beautiful, the most incredible picture that we see of the scandalous love and grace, never stopping, never ending love and grace of God is found on the cross. Jesus Christ on the cross in our place, where he willingly died for our sins while we were in the middle of sinning against him, while we were in the middle of committing spiritual idolatry against Jesus, he was actively in the process of dying for our sins so that we would have the opportunity to respond and be saved. Jesus met us where we were at, in the middle of our muck, in the middle of our sin, in the middle of committing spiritual idolatry against him. He met us where we were at, so that he can save us right where we were at. And guys, he's still doing the same thing today. God has never changed. He never changes. and never changes the way that he saves us. And so no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's going through your life, what you've done, what you haven't done, God will meet you where you're at and he will save you right where you're at. And as the worship team comes up, I'm going to go ahead and invite them up. If God is putting that on your heart to respond today to the gospel, to Jesus and what he's done for you, and maybe this is the first time that you've really, really heard it like this, the love of God and the fact that he meets us where we're at. And it's not about what we've done. It's, it's not about trying to work our way to God. It's about submitting and surrendering to the scandalous love and grace of God. It's about his work, not ours. And so if that's you today and you're, God is moving in your heart, stirring in your heart, and you're ready to take that commitment, you're ready to make that step, then please do not wait. Don't wait. I want to encourage you today to come up and, and tell us, tell, we would love to celebrate this with you. 
We'd love to, to talk with you. I'd love to talk with you. And if you have any questions too, we'd love to walk this journey with you. Discipleship is so key. A lot of times we put so much emphasis on responding to the gospel, which is so important, but discipleship is also so, so key and unfortunately so, so neglected. Please do not wait. Come up, tell someone we'd love to talk with you. have questions. And if you're here today, you're already a follower of Jesus Christ then I want, to, I want to encourage you to remember what our big idea stated earlier, which is the fact that only continual remembrance and obedience to Jesus Christ will lead to godly living. Only continual remembrance and obedience to Christ. So in other words, we can't straddle the fence. We can't just half-heartedly follow him. Because time and time again, not just in this scene, not in this book of Judges, but I'm talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of years of history. Show us time and time again where that leads. That leads to idol worshiping. That leads to straddling the fence. And that leads the next generation to fall off completely. The vast majority of the time, completely abandoning their faith, completely abandoning Jesus Christ. If you're here today and God is kind of convicting you, like, man, I responded to the gospel, but I think there's areas in my life where I'm straddling the fence. Or, or maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm a parent, but I haven't been discipling my kids and I need to start doing this. And if you're, you're like, I don't know how to do that. How do I do that? Then please, please come talk. I would love to talk to you about that. Whatever God's put it on your heart, we're, we're going to stand. Go, go ahead and we'll stand together. If you guys would go ahead and stand right now. And, and whatever God's put it on your heart, don't wait to respond. He loves you so much, so much. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we... Um, it, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to. Um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, it comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's the symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, we're, we, we're, uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Uh, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. 
So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we are we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.